Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. Morning, guys. How's everybody? Good. It's good to get to worship together and uh, little updates on the Jones home coming up on Christmas time. Uh, I think Many of you know, for those of you who don't, uh, my wife and I have a five-year-old daughter, a four-year-old boy, and then twin girls that are uh, 18 months, so our house is bananas right now. And uh, one, of my, one of our like family traditions that we're trying to instill for our kids is we have Advent candles on our um, kitchen table, and then when we sit down and have dinner at night, we'll actually light the Advent candles and... Uh, and try and reflect in as much as it's possible to corral people's, tiny people's attention, right? Uh, we try and reflect on what, you know, what Jesus bringing hope into the world means, what Jesus bringing peace into the world means. But really, the main event seems to be blowing out the Advent candles. That's like where, that's where the action's at. So Trudy and Jack will be sitting like right there next to the lit candle and we'll be like, okay, let's pray. And we're like, no, not yet, not yet. And we relight them. And then, no, it's my turn to blow them out. So it's a whole thing. So I'm not sure how deep the, the sort of spiritual significance of Advent is making its way in, but we are having a blast blowing those candles out. And uh, there's this interesting thing as uh, Matt and Jen were doing our Advent candle uh, lighting that this is just something that's become really powerful. This passage we looked at today has become really powerful in my world. Um, several years back when uh, we were pregnant with Trudy, so uh, about five, six years ago, um, we were having a worship night. And I've been a worship leader, worship pastor for many years. We were having a worship night at the church and singing some of the songs uh, at that vineyard church that had been birthed in that church community. And um, this amazing thing happened. So the first four songs were being led by my friend, uh, Cody, who has come and guest led worship with us before here. And she's singing those songs and Brooke's out there just worshiping, you know, and she's got Trudy in her stomach, right? And all of a sudden, uh, the next set of songs are songs that I'm leading. And as I start to sing in the night of worship, Trudy starts doing somersaults in Brooke's stomach. You know, she just starts churning because she hears dad's voice. It's like even in, even in Brooke's stomach, like she heard dad's voice singing and she responded. And I've never read that passage about Jesus coming into the presence of John, you know, it's like pregnant women, right? And the presence of God causes this like baby that's not even born to respond with joy. And it's like, it's like God did this thing in my world where I understand what that might've been like. And it's so beautiful and powerful. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take this Advent theme of joy and look at the scriptures that are connected to that. We're going to read a long passage of the birth narrative of Jesus together. Advent is one of these things in the life of the church, um, where we tell, every year we pause and we tell the same story of the birth of Jesus during, you know, this Christmas season. And Advent, to me, here's what Advent feels kind of like in our world. Do you ever have those friends? Uh, think about like a friend that you've known for many, many years or maybe a family member right? And you invite them over and everyone's getting together. So it's either at a family gathering or you're having friends over that live in a different city now and they're coming in town and you get to sit and eat with them kind of thing. And everyone is there. And what inevitably happens, you start telling the same dumb stories over and over. It's like every time you're together, hey, remember that time and then every, you have the story coming up in your mind right now, right? Like you have the friend in your mind and then you have the story about like, oh, remember the time that we snuck out of school and then we got caught and the, you know, like that story. And you find yourself just like in tears laughing about this thing. 
And it's like something from the past, this memory from the past, this thing that happened that was really like formative in the moment. As you relive it and you retell it, it comes back to life in this moment and it can waken, it like wakes your spirit up to the goodness of something that happened, but it's fresh and it's new every time we return to it. That to me is the role that Advent plays in the life of the church. It takes us truth that, If Jesus had not come, so much would be different in the world. And it's this moment to pause and to reflect and to think like, oh, this really did change everything. It was like the story of God led up to this moment and everything that has happened since God took on flesh and dwelt among us has never been the same in the world. And these moments in seasons like this are times to remember as we look at specifically how joy broke into the human story in a profound and powerful way in this season of Jesus coming. I've just got this observation and you, you've probably noticed this as well, but whatever brings us joy in life, we can't help but talk about. And joy is contagious. Have you noticed this? We're, we're going to do a little experiment. Um, you guys know that I, I make you be involved as we do this. So uh, prepare because I've got a few questions. They're really deep and important questions and you're going to need to answer them. Shout out your answers for me. Um, we're going to talk about some things that bring us joy. What is the best burger in Kansas City? Go. Five guys. Five guys. I love that that took none minutes. Okay. What, what, what is it? Whataburger. There's a Whataburger going in so close to my house, and <laughs> it's not going to be great for me. Um, uh, what, uh, what others? Best burger in Kansas City? Oh, come on. Yeah. Tay's. Town Topic. That one. That is. Yes, sir. <laughs> Any others? McDonald. Whoa! In a million years, I could not have guessed that would happen. Um, Here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that like when you go to that place and experience something that you love and you, all that's really happened is you just ate some food, but what happens after you eat that food and then on lunch break and then you go back to work or whatever, what do you do? You tell it. Yes. You're like, oh, I just went to fill in the blank. That place is amazing. Now I need to go take a nap in my office, right? But there's something about when, when we really deeply enjoy something, we cannot help but talk about that thing. So let's try it this way. We're, we're going to go to maybe a question that's a little more important than the burger one. Um, best barbecue in Kansas City. Okay, see that just that was just a wave. Brilliant, really. So we had we had Smokehouse, we had what what were the other? Yeah, Jack's Joe's. Come on. Arthur Bryant's. Yes, come on. So my son's brilliant. Okay, you're invited to Christmas. Um, brilliant. Here's the funny thing. When someone comes from out of town to Kansas City, what inevitably happens? you take them to barbecue, right? Because it's like this thing that this place is known for. A place is known for a thing. And when you want to share the joy of someone coming to the place, you share the thing that brings joy, right? Welcome to Kansas City. Get in the car. We are going to get barbecue, right? It's similar in our life of faith. Sometimes there are places where a thing happens. And in that place, this thing brings joy. And when we think of the people that we know and we love, we go, come with me to this place. You're going to love it, right? Let me ask you this by way of story. Your favorite Christmas movie, go. Elf Elf is the correct answer. No more conversation needed. All right, but I will entertain a few more. Go ahead. (laughs) Christmas Carol is, mm, what was it? Oh, yeah. Charlie, 
Charlie Brown, It's a Wonderful Life. Christmas, Christmas? I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. But you can't quote any of the best stuff out of that one in church. Uh, sometimes even a story becomes the part of the fabric of a time of year. And this is what it's like for us in Christmas. We gather together in this place because we know that when God draws near, there's joy. Why do, we, why do we invite people to come to this place and join us? Because we know that the joy of the Lord that has changed things in our life, the presence of Jesus that has done something in us in this community is a thing that we naturally share. People share things that have changed them. They share things that have brought them joy. And when you really deeply enjoy something, you just can't help but bring other people into that thing. And this is what we're looking at. If in the Old Testament or the Hebrew sort of world, shalom is this concept of peace. It's when everything is as God intended it to be. Well, some, some rabbinic writings have said that if shalom is all things as God intends them to be, then joy is shalom expressed in the human heart. Joy is the overflow this emotional experience that we have inside of us as we realize that God is near. See, when God's presence is in a place, we can experience many different kinds of emotions. We can be overwhelmed. We can, like joy can well up in us. We can all of a sudden find ourselves, like our capacity for love increase. But, but ultimately what happens? Wherever God is, joy starts to bubble to the surface. The interesting thing, if you, let's take a moment and talk about the story before the story of Christmas, right? Because here's the truth. When Jesus comes, that's not the beginning of the story of Christmas. The, The story of God's redemptive plan for people starts immediately in the book of Genesis. And we see joy early on in the book of Genesis as well. Have you noticed that when God is creating, it's like the very beginning of the very first book of the very, the it's like the start of the whole thing. God is making things, right? He's like scattering galaxies like pepperonis on pizza, right? It's just like just creating and creating and creating. And as he creates the world, this earth that we get the pleasure of stomping around on, he creates and then what does he do? He takes a step back and he calls what he created good. God creates and then he takes joy in it. And then God creates a little more and then he takes joy in it. And he creates a little more and he takes joy in it. And after he's finished creating, he steps back and holds the things together and fills it with his presence. This is the story in the beginning of Genesis. And very early on, we see the redemptive story of God begin. Things go awry in the garden very quickly. People choose essentially moral autonomy or or they choose to to live however they want to live in the world, to decide what's right and wrong in their own eyes. They choose to be God of their own world, right? And it creates this brokenness. And yet all throughout Genesis, you guys remember throughout earlier throughout this year, we spent a good chunk of time in Genesis. Cody and I were talking about this the other day. Like, isn't it just amazing how all throughout the book of Genesis, people keep doing things that are deeply broken. I mean, there's so much broken human stuff in the story of Genesis. And what is God's response at every turn? Like, come close, let's do this a different way. It's like, instead of God just like throwing these people, Abraham and his family and all their flaws away, in all the flaws, God just goes, come on, come close. It can be different than this. It's like God's redemptive plan begins so early on. We see it in Genesis But we also see in Exodus that the people of God find themselves in slavery. And what does God do when they're in slavery? He brings them into freedom. And in Leviticus, we find that there's like this human condition of brokenness and sin that's gone really deep. And what does God do? God makes a way for people to know where they stand with him. To be able to have relationship with him. 
In the book of Numbers, there's this opportunity to sort of like move with faith and follow God into a place that he prepared for them and some people chicken out and another generation gets another chance, right? It's this unbelievable thing like God keeps moving his story of his people toward the promises that he's made for redemption, for relationship. In the book of Joshua, you see that God fights for people. In the book of Judges, you see people are back to this mistake that they made in in Eden where they're choosing to do whatever's right in their own eyes. And time and time again, God gives another leader a chance to help the people attach their hearts to him instead of all the broken things that they've attached their hearts to. Throughout the Old Testament, there's prophets and priests and there's kings, and they're all flawed, and yet God doesn't just throw them away and give up. His redemptive plan is moving closer and closer and closer. And sometimes the people, this group of people, get so far off that God even allows them to go as a people group off into exile, like in Babylon or in Persia. Like they've gotten so far from his heart that he uses exile as this tool to remind them who they really are and what they're really supposed to be about. And even in these moments of exile, God speaks to individual people to tell all of the people, hey, here is what I am doing. Here's the great redemptive plan. There's a prophet named Jeremiah during one of these periods where all the people are in exile. And God speaks this through the prophet Jeremiah about a coming priest and king. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before we find a baby in a manger. Listen to these words in Jeremiah 33. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise that I made to the people of Israel and Judah. And in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And he will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety That is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of Israel, nor the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man stand before me continually to bring burnt offerings or grain offerings or present sacrifices. It's like even in Jeremiah's time in exile, where nothing is really as it should be in the the redemptive story of God, like things have really come off the rails, right? Even in this moment, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, hey, I have a plan. And in this plan, there will be a king who will rule justly and a priest who will make people right with God again. There's another group of people who have been exiled in one of these stories where things are not as they should be. And Nehemiah, a leader, brings the people of God out of exile back to the place where they belong. And they're gonna rebuild a city, but there's all these challenges. And Nehemiah's sort of co-leader during this period of time, Ezra, stands before the people of God and says, listen, before we do the thing we need to do, we need to remember the story that we're a part of because when we forget the redemptive story of God, everything falls apart. And we have this moment, this moment where we can reorient ourselves in the truth of who we are and what God is doing through us and in us. And Ezra reads out loud what? The law, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like they, they publicly read the scriptures together and the people are rerooted in the story of who they truly are. And Nehemiah in chapter eight says this, so go and celebrate He's like telling the people, okay, what do you do now that you've remembered your place in the story of God? He says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts with people that have nothing prepared, like people who don't have anything, share with them all the good stuff that you've cooked and prepared. Is this starting to sound familiar, right? 
Is this not like roughly the kind of thing we get up to in this season? He's like, what do you do when you've reoriented your life in the kingdom of God? You get together and you eat and you drink and you tell some dumb stories and you remember who you are, my friends, right? And he says this, don't be dejected and sad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. They have these options because they're standing in the midst of rubble, like a city that has just like been laid to waste and they've got all this rebuilding to do and there's all these enemies that could attack them and they're vulnerable, but they've rooted themselves in remembering who they are and God says, come on back, come on back. It's time to celebrate, to remember who we are and let the joy that I have be the strength for you because we've got some things we need to do now. There's this other prophet, 700 years. We're sort of moving through the story of the Old Testament. There's another prophet about 700 years before the birth of Christ, a prophet named Micah. My younger brother is named after this prophet. And he specifically, like there's been things written about what it will look like when the Messiah comes, when God's chosen ruler and priest comes to set everything right. And Micah says this, but you, Bethlehem, You are small among the clans of Judah, but out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancient times. It's like Micah, you know when it's like somebody calls calls their shot and then just sinks it, right? It's like Micah just calls it. He goes, oh, by the way, coming out of this town, Right? We've talked a lot about what the king would look like when he gets here. Well, let me tell you not only what the king will look like when he gets here. Let me tell you the tiny little town this king comes from. 700 years before Jesus' birth, Micah speaks these words. The prophet Isaiah, writing roughly in the same point of Israel's history, says this about the king and priest that will be born. He says, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a child and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So we've got this priest and this king that's coming. And it's going to look this very specific kind of a way, but it's going to be a baby. It's going to be born to a virgin. It's going to be in Bethlehem. This, if you are writing a story, <laughs> that's going to be a hard list of things for one individual to be, Right? It's even more unthinkable if all that list of things were written down generations and generations and generations before it actually comes to pass. God's redemptive plan starts in Genesis and moves throughout the entirety of the story of the Old Testament all the way to this moment that we look at today. The passages of people encounter the birth of Jesus are set in this very specific setting. Why did we talk a little bit about exile? Because the people in the story of Jesus are not free and ruling themselves. They're under Roman occupation. It's like they've got this promise of a place to call their own, but leaders and not leaders who follow the one true God are in charge of them. They're over them. And so where is joy to be found anywhere in this broken and impoverished situation where you are not even in control of your own land or your own people? This is the setting where hope is hard to find, where we read in Luke chapter two, the story of the birth of Jesus. Let's read Luke two together. It says this, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took Mary with him to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. That's a loaded little part of the story that appears elsewhere, right? (laughs) The virgin birth. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. 
She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. Do you see what Luke is doing when he writes his gospel? The things that he makes sure we don't miss about this child that's born. The people have foreign rulers. A child is born through David's line in Bethlehem, a place that was significant to God's plan, we see through a virgin who has conceived. Do you, under, you see, like Luke is like making sure we don't miss it. Hundreds of years of writing have led up to this moment. We're supposed to see as Luke starts painting this picture, this is the moment. The moment that God is with us. And the shepherds and the angels in verse eight start to experience something brilliant and full of joy. It says that's that night there were shepherds staying in fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, "Don't be afraid," he said. I sorry, this is a side note. The other day my kids are asking me about angels and they're like, "Have you ever seen an angel?" and I was like, "I haven't seen an angel." They're like, what do you think it'd be like to see an angel? And I was like, based on everything I read in the book, it'd be terrifying, right? <laughs> like it seems to be the, the singular response that people have in these moments, right? And so the angel says what? Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. He's like, hey, this is not a fear moment. This is a joy moment. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. When God is near, it's time for joy not to be afraid. The was joined by a vast host of others the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. But when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that's happened and the Lord, that the Lord has told us about. They run to Bethlehem faster than I run to the line to get the iPhone that came out this year. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to him about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. What happens when they are filled with the joy of this moment? What do they immediately start to do? What do they do? They tell everybody. It's like the burger phenomenon, but much more significant. And it says this in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, but they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. They go back to their day-to-day -day lives, but they're forever changed. They were like oriented around a life of worship because they had an encounter with something holy. It was just as the angel had told them. What does it mean that Jesus has come? People have discussed this for generations. I would say in the context of the story, the redemptive story that God has been telling all throughout the scriptures and from the moment of church, that church history begins like all the way up to this point, God has been doing this great redemptive story. What is, what is it that we find has just broken into that story in the life of Jesus. I would suggest there's a handful of things and we'll take a little bit of time for each of them. The first is this, it would appear that nothing can stop the redemptive story that God is telling. People's hearts going off track, circumstances being looking like everything is out of control, all of the brokenness, everything that stacks up that would look like it would thwart or get in the way of God doing what he intends to do. It would seem that none of the brokenness of the human story is as powerful as the great redemptive story that God is telling. Here's the second thing that we see in the coming of Jesus. That God passionately loves people. And we can forget it. The whole thing is inspired 
by a God who loves people so deeply. He loved people all the way through the broken story back here. He loves people in this moment in Bethlehem as he steps into the human story. He loved, he's loved people ever since. He loves every person in this room and every person that lives next to or works next to any person in this room. We can be sure of this. God deeply loves people. We can also be sure of this truth, that God is a God that saves. Regardless of circumstance, there is nothing that is out of control when the God who saves shows up. And we also, some of us who have lived in this life with God for a bit, there's this truth that we need to take hold of in the coming of Jesus, and it's this, that we have a mission to live this life with God and that we live this mission in a world at war. Things are not as they should be. And God's love has changed everything for us. And we now have something to offer and have been invited into this mission with God to go and to share all of the things that Jesus has said and done that have changed us so profoundly with everyone that we're around. We are invited into the mission of God. And lastly, we know this. We know how the story of God ends because the birth of Jesus is followed by the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And death no longer gets the last word. We know how the story ends. So let's start working our way through these truths that break in at the moment that Jesus steps into humanity. The first is this, that nothing can stop the redemptive story of God through every twist and turn. Not even for a moment has God veered from his plan. It's just really important for us to take a moment and give that space. As we move through these truths, we're going to take just a a second and pray. Um, Would you pray with me? And we're just going to let God move this truth into our hearts. God, would you just make that real to us? That nothing stands in the way of your redemptive plan? Because it looks like broken culture or broken people or the way everything is going. Sometimes we lose heart and we forget that just the broken stuff around us is not the truest thing about what is happening in the world. And so for those of us who become discouraged or downhearted or have started to lose hope, I just pray that you would breathe on us with faith, that we would believe that nothing stands in your way. Amen. The next truth that we see is this. God loves people. He did way back then, he does today, and he will love the people that come along long after we are gone. About 30 years after Jesus is born and laying in this manger, he says these really fascinating things as he's sort of enact, he's bringing the kingdom of God in his earthly ministry. And Jesus says some very specific things about the way that God loves. He tells this parable in Luke 15. And it goes like this. It's a parable about a lost sheep. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to listen to him teach. This made the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. They sound like a blast to be around, huh? Jesus is hanging with the wrong sort of people. These are not the religious elite. These people are all broken. What is he doing? So Jesus told them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice, 
with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Come on. What brings God joy? It's crazy to think of, but apparently us in all of our brokenness wanting to be with him. But Jesus goes on and tells the story a different way just to make sure that people get it. He says this, or suppose a woman has lost 10 silver coins or has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search for it carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors. She's bringing other people into the situation, right? And say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Like what brings God's heart joy? When people that are far from him allow him to love them. When they open up their lives to experience the love of God. Here, here's the thing. The only, for those of us who have experienced the love of Jesus, I would just say this. The only sane thing that we could possibly do this Christmas season is to look through the eyes of Jesus at every friend and relative and coworker and neighbor and person in our homeowners associations meetings that creates a real weird vibe. It doesn't matter who they are, right? Like, anyone that God has put us around, he looks at them and he sees a sheep that belongs in his flock. He sees a coin. He sees value. And he will toss over the entire house of their life to bring that person into relationship with him. He's fiercely committed to loving people. And for us to enter into that mission of God, we just start seeing people as priceless And we want them to come and see the goodness of a God who took on flesh and dwelt among us so that people could live in relationship with him again. And as these people are invited, like, you know, we have this list of three people and we pray for those people that God would move in their lives. We're not doing that because it's clever. We're doing that because God loves them. And our attention needs to be set toward prayer for people that God loves. That's part of our role in the mission of God and and the joy of our life with God. We're invited to let that be contagious. To simply say, come and see. And if they come in and they go, hey, what's all this singing and talking about old writings and lighting candles? Like what? What is happening in this place? And they start thinking, don't you know the, like, this all seems strange. Don't you know the broken things I've done in my life? Like, you're telling me that God loves me and wants, like, God doesn't want a broken person like me. And what even is going on in this place? My friends, here's the beautiful thing. When God's presence is near in times like this, what happens is that ragamuffins and broken people start, as the song says, their soul begins to feel its worth. The one that made them reminds them that they were made to be loved by him. And the joy of our experience of that is worth sharing. Jesus didn't come For the healthy, he came for the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a healer. It's the broken that need someone to mend them. It's the lost that need a shepherd. It's the enslaved that need a savior. This is the mission of God that he's on. So if you would, let's pause and pray on this one for a minute. God, um, in this place, Sometimes the broken stuff in us can seem so big that we just are not sure that you are real in, like, could, could the God of the universe also be 
so loving and so personal that he would be with me. And so God, I just, I can't make that real, God, but you can make that real. So I invite your presence. And if anyone has not started a life with God and you want to invite him into your world, invite you to pray. God, um, yeah, I've wandered off and I have done things that are broken and broken things have been done to me. But I can sense that you're here and that you love me. And so God, I, I take all that and I trade it for a life with you. God, come and be my savior. Amen. If you just prayed that for the first time, uh, brace for impact because a life with God is knowing love in a way that you have not known it before. And God is very, very good. And this brings us to the next thing that we see in Jesus, that we can be certain that regardless of the crazy circumstances around us, that God is a God that saves. Psalm 46, six through seven, talks about when everything around us in the world, you guys, are you guys like me? Do you see the just crazy stuff going on in the world? And just go like, what? I'm turning Facebook off a minute, right? <laughs> you have these moments where you're like, this place is nuts. In the chaos and the brokenness of the world around us, this psalm has been really, really powerful in my life. It's Psalm 46, 6 through 7, and it says this. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us, and the God of Israel is our fortress. Let's pray into this one for a minute. God, um, the kingdoms of this world are, are in chaos. We can see it. And so I just pray that we would be able to put our trust not in earthly leaders or broken systems, God, or in this group or that group that we can be a part of. But God, I we take our hope and we place it in the God of heaven's armies who is our fortress regardless of circumstance. Amen. The next thing that we see is that we are invited into a mission with God, a God who loves. For God, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader. And they're talking about how this whole thing of life with God works. And Jesus speaks to him about, about being born again. And he says this, for God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. And God sent his son into this world, not to judge it, but to save the world through him. What is this baby doing in a manger? not to condemn the world, but to save it. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. And finally, that brings us to this certainty. We know how the story ends. Remember the redemptive story that God has been telling is not over yet. We live in the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done in his death and his burial and his resurrection and the Holy Spirit living in the lives of the people who have given their life to God. The kingdom of God is here and yet everything is not yet as it should be. And I learned this lesson of living in the tension of the already and not yet of the kingdom most profoundly, not in a seminary course, but from a custodian at the church I used to work from. 
Do you guys remember, his name is Tom, one of my favorite people. I love this guy. So Tom would clean the vineyard church that I was in for years, and he'd always have some fun or funny thing that he would say. And uh, So a few years back, do you guys remember there was a time where the Chiefs won a Super Bowl? Anybody? Anybody love going back to that memory, watching it on YouTube over and over? Okay, maybe it's just me. Um, so it's the year that the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl and they're playing against the 49ers, right? Well, Tom and I have been having these conversations. Like, who do you think is going to win this game, man? And he's like, oh, the Chiefs have got it. The Chiefs have got it. And I'm like, all right, sounds good. So we go and I, the Super Bowl happens and then I see Tom the week after and I was like, can you believe it? And he goes, get a load of this, man. He goes, so I got this quirk. My wife hates it. But, uh, so when I'm watching the Super Bowl or a football game or whatever, I got that TiVo. So if a funny commercial comes on, I just back up and watch it another time or two. And then if, you know, if something interesting happens, I back up, rewatch plays, all that kind of thing. So Tom has been watching the Chiefs in the Super Bowl backing up every now and again. So he's no longer watching the Super Bowl in real time. And he's sitting there, and do you guys remember like going into the third quarter of that Super Bowl? The Chiefs were down to the 49ers in a way that like there was no coming back from this. I mean, it was like unthinkable that this thing was about to turn around kind of thing. Well, Tom's sitting in his house, and he's just like hanging his head, and he's depressed. And he's just like, <sighs> we finally make it to a Super Bowl and we can't even close the deal. Well, he's not watching it in real time. And all of a sudden, outside of his house, fireworks start going off in his neighborhood. <laughs> he has this moment where he's like, the game's over and we won. <laughs> now, Tom's sitting here in this moment. He's still got an entire quarter of the game to watch. But all of a sudden, the anxiety and the depression and the like, whoa, there is no hope, was lifted off of him. And he watches the fourth quarter of this game knowing for certain what the end is. For those of us who have a life with God, this is the period of time that our lives fall into. We know what Jesus has done and we know where the story of the kingdom of God is off to. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and there will be no suffering and there will be no pain and all will be as it should be in the fullness of the kingdom of God. There are pictures of this even in the book of Revelation where Jesus says things like this, behold I am making all things new. That's where the story is off to. That's what breaks in when a baby is in a manger. God is with us. And for us in our lives, here's what faith is. Faith is knowing, yes, there's still a quarter left in the game, but we know how this thing ends up. And come what may in the tension of the kingdom of God where some things are not all the way as they should be, here's the truth. We can have faith knowing that this thing is already sorted out. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And for us in Christmas, joy comes in our lives when the presence of God reminds us that there is a reason for the hope that lies in us. There was a, one of my favorite Christmas songs is a song called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You guys know this one? It's a song written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, which is the greatest name I've ever heard. <laughs> Well, Longfellow had lost his wife in a tragic accident, and his son goes off to fight in the Civil War, and he's, he's wounded, and, and it's like there's just everything feels like it's swirling and out of control in his life, and he, he sits, and being the poet that he is, he, he pens these words, um, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. It's like trapped in this moment of despair, Longfellow loses for a moment the faith, the evidence of things unseen. But then all of a sudden the joy returns into his life. And he remembers 
wait a minute, this moment where things look bad, this is not what's true about the world. And so he pens the next verse and says this, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, here's, here's the joy of the Lord, that nothing can stand against the king and the priest who was born in Bethlehem, whose kingdom is here and is coming. When God took on flesh and dwelt among us, it was a miracle and a moment in the redemptive history of God that it's important that we go back to and remember from time to time because the world will not always look like the end is going to be a victory. But we can take joy. Let joy rise this season because we know how the story ends. Would you guys pray with me? And I'll, if you, uh, worship team, guys, if you want to come up, it'd be great. So God, we just thank you. We, we return to this story to remember uh, our story in a life with you. And I just pray, God, that in, in a deep and profound way, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in today. God, that wrong will fail and good prevail. That your kingdom, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, Jesus. So Jesus, in our life and in the lives of all those that we are going to go and invite to come and see Come and see what God has done. God, I pray that your kingdom would break in. And we just give you the rest of this time in worshiping God. Seal these truths in our hearts and, and take us from this place to celebrating and eating with each other and then take that joy into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our families and anywhere we go, God. I pray that we would be carriers of the joy and the hope of Jesus this week. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.